Come on in. How many of you are excited about the possibility of a mission trip? Yeah. How many of you want to go to Costa Rica? Okay, remember I said older teens? Older teens. Uh, we did have, I believe, I'm looking to the back, one more announcement for those of you that are not Facebook savvy, perhaps. We have one more announcement of a new baby who has been added to our numbers. And they would ask that uh, you pray for them, bless them in the name of the Lord, but don't visit without first contacting them, okay? Good, I appreciate it. Um, let me ask you, what is the earliest age you have a conscious memory? And by that, I don't mean one that your parents told you so often that it almost became your memory, but you don't really remember it, you know, where they show you a picture and they tell you all about What's the earliest age you have for a memory? Five. Did you really say one? Who said one? You have a one-year-old memory. Man, it must have been traumatic. Yes. Really? Wow. I thought I was doing pretty good. Um, I have a uh, very vivid memory of living in a house that was located between Palmyra and Masset in New York. Uh, I found out yesterday it's a house that my grandfather built. I didn't know that until yesterday. Uh, he actually built two houses side by side that were basically small, little, like 1,000 square foot ranch houses. Uh, I, I remember this memory because I got upset at being yelled at by my dad and mom. And so I took the only precious item that I owned at that time, which was my ball cap, put it on my head, and I told them, I announced to them, I'm running away from home. And they said, fine. And I walked down the road, Emerson Road, to the end of Emerson Road, and where you would have had to turn onto what I believe is Sand Hill Road, they said. I couldn't remember the name. Um, <clears throat> And at that point, I decided it was probably not the best decision, and I came back home. I remember that because I was about three years old, and I wanted to run away from home. Um, what I have discovered is that every stage of life has some very poignant memories, things that matter a lot, things that stick out in your minds. And each season of life, prior to that season, we actually have some thoughts about it some perspective. So I can remember when I was 12 years old, I was uh, probably, you know, decent size for my age. Uh, I felt like I grew up on a farm, so I was pretty strong. I was in good shape. I mean, I go to gym classes and these guys are groaning about the physical fitness, presidential physical fitness test. And I thought it was a breeze. This stuff was easy. So I felt strong. I felt like I was a man already. But I can remember what I was looking towards. I was 12 years old. I was looking forward to an event that would shape my life forever. Can you imagine what that event might be? Getting my driver's license, age 16. I wanted to get my driver's license because that meant I would finally be free from the control of my mom and dad. I could do what I want, go where I want, do anything I wanted. <clears throat> then I turned 16. I got my car, I got my license, I got my license two days after I turned 16, because back in those days you could. Um, well, you had to wait till you were 16 to go get your permit, you had to wait 24 hours, so it ended up being two days from me. 
at least that's my recollection, which you all know how great my memory is. Um, I got my license, and what do you think my next kind of like dream perspective was going to be about? Graduation from high school. I couldn't wait till I was 18. I could finally graduate and get out of school. And then what do you think was next on my list? For me, I don't know what I was thinking, but it was college. I should have bypassed the college, but if I bypassed the college, I would have missed out on the next thing I dreamt about, which was getting married. All of those were like things that I looked forward to, stages in life, perspectives that I had about all of them. But how many of you discovered that what you thought would happen at each of those stages of life didn't always pan out? Let me ask you it this way. Um, how many of you here are married with children? Okay. Whoa. Did you see the look, too? <laughs> Scary. Um, how many of you, prior to your marriage, had a view about marriage that didn't pan out once you got married? Things were not quite the way you thought they were going to be. And all the guys are looking like, can I afford to raise my hand? My wife's sitting next to me. How many of you had perspectives about children prior to having children, and once you had children, it didn't work out quite that way? <clears throat> I can remember, this is a vivid memory. I'd never even asked Karen about this. Uh, Karen's sister had children, and we were married at the time, and we were at a family gathering at their house. And I can remember the children were going crazy. They were acting nutso. I mean, wild, running all over. I can remember one of them kicking me because that's how he showed his affection. The other one climbing on you. And I'm thinking, this is just crazy. And we were married. And I ha I, my vivid memory is going home and saying to Karen, when we have kids, our kids will never act like that. And then we had Jonathan. Thank you very much. Um, what I want you to catch is that um, all of us go through change points in our lives. And uh, each of those change points, prior to the change point, we probably even have perspectives, viewpoints about them. And when they happen, they don't always happen the way that we expected they would. And that's an opportunity as we go through each transition in life for us to actually grow and to change, to actually um, exercise a little bit of humility and to say, apparently I didn't know everything I thought I knew and it's not quite as easy as I thought it was. How many of you have ever judged somebody and then had to go through something similar and realized it wasn't quite as easy as you thought it was when you were judging them? I think probably we all had. Um, this morning, I want to specifically talk to you about Family Life Church and some things that we have been praying about for quite some time, have been dialoguing about, discussing together, things that we believe are change points for us. Now, let me start off by saying that I believe everybody looks for some level of family or community. It's part of the reason why we named this Family Life Church, is that family is a priority, a value among us that's very, very important. And everybody's looking for it. But one of the interesting things is that in families or in communities of churches, there are change points. Um, <clears throat> the average pastor, 
Do you know how long the average pastor stays in a church in the United States of America? When I started out, it was two and a half to three years. It has now grown to four years. That's how long the average pastor stays in the church. And it's not only pastors who change churches, by the way. Sometimes people change churches. I read a survey recently which said people change churches as... No, I didn't read it. I listened to it. I'm sorry. People change churches as often as people change their underwear. And I thought to myself, how do they know how often I change my underwear? That's just a stupid act. But people don't tend to change churches quite as often as pastors do. Pastors tend to move more quickly than people. People come in and they stay there for a while. They're there for now. In fact, do you know the average size of a church in the United States? The average size of a church. I'm sorry, what did you say? I heard another number. 50. The average size of a church in the United States of America is 50. 50 people, not dogs and cats, people. And in those average churches, do you know how long it takes to turn over that church? In other words, everybody in that church just about changes? About every seven years, a church knows a turnover. Now, it might not mean that every single person has moved, but the majority do. That's the average in the United States of America. People change churches. In fact, I was listening to the same survey, and it gave top five reasons for why people leave church. Top five reasons for why people leave church. Listen to this. 28% said the church is not helping me spiritually anymore, which I always find really interesting. People will come into the church and talk about how they love the church, they love the preaching, they love the teaching, it's helping them so much, they're growing so much, and a year later they're leaving the church because, well, you don't feed me anymore. Wait a minute, it's the same person giving the same kind of stuff. It's the Bible. How is it no longer feeding you? I would suspect that something has changed for somebody else. Number two, they didn't feel engaged or involved in the work of the church. And I would say to you, get as involved as you want to be. That's on you. Don't be, well, yeah, I just feel called to something. Get involved. I I met with somebody recently who was talking about missions, and I said, "If, if you have a heart for missions, get involved where you can right now in missions. Don't wait. Number three, they didn't like the other church members because they felt judged. 33% of the people said they felt judged by the people in their church, so they left. Number four, this one will just go by really quickly. 43% said they didn't like the pastor. Easy for you to laugh. Thank you. I don't even know who said that, but thank you. Number five, too many changes. That's where I was going. The vast majority of people leave church because the church is making too many changes. But here's my point. If you change churches, it's assured that church won't change you because you're going to just keep going. I mean... I've been married now for 37 years. Whoa. Here's my point in saying that. Not so you just cheer for us. You should be cheering for her. Um, Things happen on the long haul of marriage that can never happen in the first couple of years. 
It takes time. And so one of the values of sticking with it, I, I've now been in this town for 26 years. We're celebrating our anniversary this week. 26 years in this town as a pastor. Things were said to me now that I don't believe ever would have been said to me 26 years ago. I sit down at Bud's and people ask me questions and talk to me about things I don't believe they ever would have before. I go through this town and people call me Pastor Chris by name even though I have no clue who they are. As far as they're concerned, in fact, I had somebody say to me recently, you're the town's pastor or some such wording like that. They said, you sit down here and you hold court. And I do. But that doesn't happen right away. It takes time, sticking with it over the long haul and not leaving just because things change and you liked it better the old way. So what I want to talk to you about this morning are some things that, uh, as a leadership team, we have uh, been talking about, praying about for quite some time, some changes that are coming down the pike. Now, I've already kind of talked a little bit about some of the more administrative changes, like you might have noticed, which that, that itself will actually change a little bit. You notice the welcome center out there as we come in. We're going to begin to say, let's bring our friends, our neighbors, our relatives into the house of the Lord and see people get saved and see this church begin to grow, because I think this church is way better than its size reflects. I think God has something really good here. And so we want to make sure people are welcomed. So we're making some changes. We're talking about the ministry team changes that are going on. So there's changes going on. But in the midst of all of those changes, I have been given the responsibility of talking to you this morning about some things that won't change. There are some things that will never change in this church. Uh, when we began this whole process, began to dialogue and pray together, we went back to our very inception back in 1974 when this church was birthed. And we looked at what are some of the things that were part of the warp and woof of this church at that time. What were things that were like values that they held dear? And in looking at those, we came to the astonishing understanding that those, still, those things are still a part of who we are today. They haven't changed. We have core values. We have perspectives that are ours, that are always going to be ours. So what I want to do is I want to just briefly go through five core values that we identified that will not change in the midst of all of these other changes that you're going to begin to notice around here. Number one, the first core value is worship. Worship is not going to change. We are not going to spend time watching the clock or listening to your grumbling stomach to decide how long we go in worship. We're going to go after God big time. We're not going to change that. With any of the changes that are going on, we believe... It, it, I talked to somebody just yesterday um, who uh, their church is in the midst of some changes. And uh, we were kind of joking around about people struggling with some of those changes. And she said, you know, the problem is it's us old timers. I said, you're right. She goes, people arguing over things that don't matter whether we do how many hymns or how many choruses. It doesn't matter. What matters is, does your heart press into God? Are you going after God? Because that's what worship is about. Worship is about preparing your heart before the Lord. That is not going to change. It's us being driven by a desire to please Him and to see His face. That's what worship is about. 
to behold the face of the Lord. Uh, it's about a deep and abiding love for God, which I will be talking about a little bit more next week. Number two in our core values is outreach. Um, this is about our heart for the world and those around us who are in desperate need of a Savior. I talk to more people now than I ever did for years and years because most of my emphasis was right here in this place. But now by going downtown, I find I talk to more good old-fashioned sinners than I've ever talked to in years. Do you know what I found? Is that a lot of people like their lives. They're very happy. They're very content with where they are at. And things are going well for them. And it would be very easy to watch their demeanor, to listen to their tone, to hear their stories and to think everything's okay. But the truth is, they're in desperate need of a Savior. Because if they don't encounter Jesus, their eternal destiny is set. And I don't want that. I want us to make it hard for anybody in Warsaw to go to hell because we didn't bother telling them. I want us to tell people about Jesus regularly. That's what outreach is about. And for some of you, you can remember different outreaches. How many of you remember Heaven's Gate Hell Flames? How many of you were in Heaven's Gate Hell Flames? Um, it's funny. Every time we did it, I ended up with the same role. I always wanted a different role, but they always gave me the same role. Uh, but... Either way, Heaven's Gate Sells Flames was an outreach we did to share the gospel with people. How many of you guys remember when we did Picnic in the Parking Lot? Picnic in the Parking Lot. Do you know, you can say what you want about how much fruit comes from these events, which is always what we do. When we get done with an event, we always look like, did it do what we wanted? Did it produce fruit? Do you know that at our first Picnic in the Parking Lot, somebody got saved? Do you know who that was? Dave DeGolier. Or Dave DeGoyer. Where did that come from? <laughs> Dave DeGoyer was already saved. I hadn't thought of that name in years. Whoa! Talk about a memory flash in that second. Dave Neeson. I'm sorry, I went back to Dave DeGoyer now. Talk about Dave. Wow. I'm talking about him a long time. Dave Neeson got saved. And how many of you are grateful that Dave Neeson is saved and is a part of this church? It's funny, I go in, I don't announce who I am at Bud's. I don't go in and say, by the way, Pastor Chris is here. I don't, I just go in and I get my coffee and I sit at the table. Dave Neeson comes in, the first thing he says is, this is my pastor, this is Pastor Chris. To everybody. So like, even if they don't know me, they now know who I am. I love that Dave came to that first picnic in the parking lot straight out of jail. He got saved. He's been coming here ever since. I love that. Today? I don't know where he is today. We better go find out. He better not be at Tim Horton still. This is all about us wanting to reach people both locally and globally, which is why we're also doing our mission trip to Costa Rica, and we'll be doing other mission trips. I had somebody say to me not too long ago, well, I guess... You said that we're not doing mission trips anymore, just you are. Well, that's not true. We will do mission trips as they become available, as there's opportunity, and we hope that you will avail yourself of those opportunities. So outreach is very, very important. We want to see Warsaw get saved as a whole town. We want to see this town make a difference in its area. Number three, third value is fellowship. Fellowship is all about family. It's about recognizing that no group of people are perfect. We all have issues, and we're all still going to stick together. 
Um, I told you that I have been here now for 26 years, and uh, I have watched you guys change over the years. I've watched you individually change. I've watched some of you grow up from teenagers to get married. Uh, some of you here I actually dedicated as babies and now dedicate your babies. Those are things that only happen when you stick together. And I love the fact that family sticks together. Right now we're dealing with a family crisis in my own extended family with a nephew who is uh, diagnosed by the doctors as terminal. Uh, Family dynamics are off the charts weird and dysfunctional. It's bad. I mean, so much bad that you want to avoid it. But that's still my family. And family sticks together no matter what. You stay together. It doesn't always work well. I mean, Karen and I, I mean, there have been times when we have not been doing well together. But you stick together. Why? Because that's family. And we made vows together. We're staying together. And so as a family, we're saying, listen, this is not a museum place for people who are perfect that we can put on a shelf and say to everybody, look at them. This is a hospital for people who are sick, but not staying sick. We want people to get well. We want Jesus to meet with people and to get healed, to become whole in who they are. Larry Crabb, some of you might know Larry Crabb. He's a psychologist, uh, Christian psychologist, and he had a quote in one of his more recent books called Connecting. He did for years and years and years psychology ministry outside of the church. And I'm telling you the truth, he, he came, it came to a point where I wouldn't even read his books anymore because I thought he was so anti-church. He had such an encounter with God that his next book, he wrote and he apologized to every student he ever taught. And this is why he says it. Listen to this. We have made a terrible mistake. For most of the century, we have wrongly defined soul wounds as psychological disorders and delegated their treatment to trained specialists. Damaged psyches are not our problem. The problem is disconnected souls. What we need is connection. What we need is a healing community. The root of all our personal and emotional difficulties is a lack of togetherness. I, therefore, believe that the surest route to overcoming problems and becoming the people we were meant to be is reconnecting with God and with His community. This should be a healing place for folks to come in as they are, but not staying that way, seeing people grow up. Number four in our core values is revival. This is all about the banner that used to be in our foyer that said we are a people of his passion, presence, purpose, and power. We are going to be a people who pursue revival with all of our hearts. Because although we can strategize, although we can plan things, the truth is only revival can truly change everything. Revival is reformative in nature. I was with Jim and Pat Bauer uh, yesterday down at Walmart talking. Uh, they attend Valley Chapel. And uh, we were talking about some different things. Their church is in the midst of some changes too. And people are leaving the church over it. People are upset. And in talking about it, we were kind of half-joking about how people get upset about things that in the long run probably don't matter all that much. It's just because they like it the old way. But she said this. She said, Pastor Chris, what we desperately need in this town is revival. And she's right. We need revival. We need the fullness of his presence to come in power and to change us as people. We are a Pentecostal church. That's our birthright. 
and we're not selling it for any bowl of pottage anywhere. That's who we are. We're going after God. Number five is discipleship. We believe it's not enough just to come and sit here forever and to say, I'm saved. I think somewhere, somehow, we need to be a church that teaches and preaches the gospel, helps people to learn and to grow and to change. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before and ordained that we should walk in them. So, the reality is, God has a job for you. It's not enough just to come here and sit and take up room. You ought to have a part in this church. You ought to look for every opportunity you can serve. You know, Karen recently sent out an email to a bunch of different people about whether they would serve. I, honestly, there was a part of me that was shocked and a part of me that was so sad when I had so many people say no. Thinking, are you really kidding me? It's a few minutes after church service to pray for people and you don't want to do it, you don't have time for it. That's what this is about. It's saying, if you're going to be a Christian, be a disciple. Be a true disciple. Go after the things of Jesus and what he offers to us and every opportunity he gives to us. It's growing in the things of the Spirit, allowing his word to be stored in our hearts, blowing upon that word and helping us to grow up. Now, having said what our core value is, we took time to put together a couple of statements. One is a vision statement, one is a mission statement. A mission statement has to do largely with the big why. Why we do what we do, why we are in existence, why we're even here today. And so with that in mind, we came up with a mission statement that is short, that I believe is memorable. In other words, you can memorize it in this one setting. You will remember this. It's very easy. Our mission statement is very simply this, connecting God and people. That's our mission as a church, connecting God and people. Now, you can take that a couple of different ways, by the way, and we did it on purpose. It is, first of all, us connecting to God. Because if we don't connect to God, if we don't have something in us, we have nothing to give. You can only give out of what you have and what you are. So we want to make sure we're connecting with God ourselves. But the next thing is we want to connect other people to God so that when people come in here, we want to give them an opportunity to encounter God in our worship, in our fellowship, in the preaching of God's word, we want people to encounter God. I want people to encounter God out there. So that when I sit at the table at Bud's and somebody's sharing something hard, I want to be able to say to them, can I pray for you right now? Because I believe God wants to meet you right where you're at and make a difference. So it's not just us encountering God. We want people, and we want to be those who facilitate people encountering God. But thirdly, it's also about connecting people to people. It's connecting people together. Because the truth is, everybody needs family. The scripture says God sets the isolated in families. And that's what we're about. We want to make sure that people feel a part of being a part of the church. And so for us, Paul writes to the local churches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there are people out there today who are saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're a part of the universal church. And I understand that. I really do. And I think we are a part of the larger church. But I think real life happens when you connect together in small groups like this as family together. It's where you rub up against one another. Sometimes you annoy one another. You bug one another. Sometimes it's sparks. Sometimes bad sparks. And sometimes good sparks. But it's still us staying together as family. There are things that some of you do that really annoy me.
No. And there are things I guarantee that I do that really annoy you, like what I just said. But that's family. Family's not perfect, but family stays together. It loves one another, and it goes on. And it helps one another, hopefully, get better and grow up. So, our mission statement is connecting God and people. And you can remember that. Anywhere you go, somebody says, well, what's your church about? We're about connecting God and people. That is our mission. That's our reason for existence on this earth. Connecting God and people. So, Pastor John is now going to come, and he's going to explain all the rest of the changes that are going to go on big time. Thanks. Um, so I get to share with you guys about the uh, vision. Um, so over the summer, the leadership team got together and we prayed. We sent, spent time looking at everything that we're doing, evaluating everything that we're doing. Um, and we feel like God gave us a clear vision for, what, for moving forward. So when I say uh, vision statement, what I mean is what I mean is this is where we're going and this is what we're going to do. So the vision statement that we felt like God gave us was love God, love people, love Warsaw. That's not very complicated. It's actually very simple, but it's what we feel like God called us to do. And I'm going to give you an overview today of what that's going to look like. Um, And then over the next three Sundays, we're going to break that down so that you can understand everything that we're going to do. So next Sunday, we're going to talk about loving God, the following Sunday, loving people, and then the last Sunday of the month, we're going to talk about loving Warsaw. So when I say love God, the word of God calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For us, we believe that that's what we're called to. God is not supposed to be a box that we take out for Sunday mornings and a box that we take out when we're going through a hard situation in life. God wants to be our everything. He wants to be involved in every area of our life. He wants to be our everything. And he wants us to love him. And we're supposed to be in a relation, in an active relationship with him. Uh, this was true for Adam and Eve in the beginning. And it's true for us today still. Adam and Eve were called to be in this relationship with God. It says that in Genesis, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. And we believe that that's what we're called to, is to be in a relationship with God. Um, we're, we live in a time where everyone is like non-committal about everything under the sun. Like no one wants to really commit to anything. But being in a relationship with God is something that we're going to commit to. And for most Christians, for a, a lot of us here who have a relationship with the Lord, that's like not a big deal. It's not like I'm saying something like completely revolutionary that we're supposed to have a relationship with God and we're supposed to love Him. Like this is not like shocking information for most of you. It's like, of course we're supposed to have a relationship with God. And it's not something that's it's difficult for you to get excited about. I mean, God took you out of darkness and brought you into light. He took you um, from a place of being wounded and hurt, and he brought healing and wholeness. Some of you, God walked with you through really, really dark and difficult, difficult times, and he brought you out the other side. He's been really, really good to you, and he's been really, really faithful. Amen? So it's not hard for you guys to get excited about loving God. Um, but as we get close to God in relationship with him, I don't know if you know this or not, but scientists say that as couples age together, they actually, the way that they look starts to change, and they actually start to look like each other. Um, I mean, I can see Carol and Jack all the time, and he's been looking more like Carol every day. I mean, it's like, but it's true. They say, they say that couples, as they get older, they start to look like each other. And um, as we're in this relationship with the Lord, we should begin to look like him too. 
Um, when I was when I was in college, um, uh, my roommate he lived in New York City, and there was this uh, really famous basketball court in New York City that I used to like grow up watching videos of these people playing basketball on this court. And I always kind of thought like, oh, it'd be fun to go there and play basketball someday. So we were in. Uh, we were, he asked me to go home with him f for a break to New York City. So we went there. And he said, hey, we're going to go to this park and we're going to play. And I was like, whoa, it's crazy. So it was kind of hard to get into the park to play. There's like lots of people that want to play. And you have to like know someone and whatever. So I was like, how are we going to like, there's just two of us. Who are we going to play with? And how are we going to, how are we going to, um, how are we going to get on there to play, you know? And he said, oh, I know some people. I was like, okay. He's like, so I got Vinny. He's coming. He's my pastor. Uh, I got this guy, Jeremiah. He's real good. I like playing with him. And there's Big Mac. Big Mac is the guy who's getting us in to play. Um, so he says, I'm going to go, I'm going to drop you off. We're on the subway. He's like, I'm going to drop you off. You go find Big Mac. He'll take care of everything. And I'm going to go get these other guys. And I'm going to meet you back there. I'm like, how will I know who Big Mac is? He's like, oh, you'll know. I'm like, okay. So I get to the park and I walk around and it was very clear who Big Mac was. I mean, the guy had lettuce hanging out from under his shirt. He had hamburger meat hanging out up here. I mean, this guy literally resembled a Big Mac, like the Big Mac that you eat from McDonald's. And what happened was he spent too much time looking at Big Macs and eventually he started to look like a Big Mac himself. Because you really will become what you look like or become what you look at. The same is true in our relationship with the Lord is that as we get into this relationship with God, we should start to look more like him. When people get around us, they should start to hear Jesus speaking when we speak. When we get around people, we should start to look more like God. And um, if we begin to get around God, what happens is the things that are important to him become the things that are important to us. So as we love God, what should be happening is we should start to love the things that he loves. And the things that God loves, what God loves is people. What God cares about are people. That's the second part of the uh, vision is love God, love people. And I want to encourage you in your love for people this morning. Sometimes people, um, sometimes people who are Christians, it's easy for them to love God because God's done so much for, for them. But they kind of get stuck in this place of loving God and not loving people. And I want to challenge you this morning that if, you're, if you feel like you're in a growing relationship with God, but you're not loving people, then you're, it's like you're enjoying the benefits of a relationship with God. You're having your sins forgiven, and he's healing you and all this kind of stuff, but you're not actually getting to know his heart. So you're loving the benefits of a relationship with God, but not actually loving him. Because if you love him, you'll begin to love the things that he loves. It's impossible not to. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to his heart, the more his heart becomes a part of you, and you start to love people. Um, I'm not sure how many of you will have heard of this couple, uh, but there's a couple, their names are Roland and Heidi Baker. They have a really cool testimony. Um, the important part of their story picks up about 1995. Um, they were both like at the end of their rope. They were exhausted. They were frustrated. Heidi says that she, um, she was totally burnt out. She had absolutely nothing left to give. She found herself in a, in a Kmart. And she was back in the back of a Kmart, kind of walking around doing some shopping. She saw this girl, like, stocking shelves in the back of Kmart, like, back, way in the back, like, where people don't even hardly see you. And she said, she just said to God, like, man, that's all I want to do. I want to, like, get back in the back of Kmart where no one can see me in stock shelves. Like, I've got nothing left to give. I don't want to see any people. I don't have anything left. I'm, like, totally done. So they were, she was talking to a friend of hers. 
And a friend of hers said, um, there's this church in Toronto, it's called Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, and like God is moving, doing like powerful things at this church, like you should go. And at the time, God was moving at this church in Toronto, and people from like all over the world were traveling to this church. They were like, we heard about what God is doing, we want God to do that in our lives, so they went there. So they were supposed to go there for a weekend. Uh, they got there, and that weekend ended up turning into a month. They stayed there for 30 days. They never left. And they kind of explained what God, what happened in them during this time. And they said that they got there, they were broken, they were wounded, they were tired, they were like done. They got nothing left to give. And they said that they got there, and they said that it was like they laid down on a surgeon's table, and like God started to do surgery in them. Some of the stuff he was doing in them, they didn't even have any words to explain. God was, was, she said it was like God was pulling out of her things that like she didn't even know was inside of her. Um, He was healing places in her that she didn't even know were hurt. Things from her childhood that she could barely even remember. Things that had happened over the course of their life where they had been hurt and just had different stuff happen. God started healing these places inside of them, doing surgery in them. It was kind of the first way that she explained what happened. The second way that she explained what happened was she said it was like love started to explode inside of her. She said it was like there was like these explosions happening inside of her where where she had loved before, but what she was experiencing was so much bigger and so much deeper that she would say it was like she was loving for the first time in her life. She had definitely loved before. She had been in love before, but what she was feeling was so huge that she said it was like the first, like I loved for the first time in my life. And she loved God and she felt God's love and it was like um, this amazing stuff was happening in their life. So during this time, as they were getting closer and closer to God over these 30 days, um, their love for God was growing. So they were growing in their love for God. But they were also growing in their love for people. And specifically for them, God started to give them a burden for the people of Mozambique. Um, So this was 1995. And so soon after their time in Toronto, they left and went to Mozambique. And the truth is, they've basically been in Mozambique ever since then. I mean, they've come back here and there, and they come and speak at conferences and stuff like that, or come home and see people. But they've basically been in Mozambique for like the last 20 years. And they've been, they set up a, a ministry called IRIS, and they care for widows and orphans. They share the gospel. They feed the hungry. They've seen incredible miracles, like all this stuff. And what happened was it It didn't just happen out of nowhere. They were growing in their love for God. And as they were growing in their love for God and getting closer to him, they started to care about the things that he cared about, which are people. And specifically for them, it was the people of Mozambique. That brings me to my uh, third third component of the vision, which is love Warsaw. This love that you have for God that will grow and turn into a love for people has to be a target. This is kind of the next trap that I see some Christians falling into. They say, like, they love humanity, and they love people in general, and they love theoretical people, and, you know, all this stuff. Like, we can't just love humanity. Like, we have to love people. We have to love actual people that exist and are in front of us. We have to have a heart for people. And so for us, for Roland and Holly Baker, their target was Mozambique. Those were the people that God gave them to love. As we prayed about it, we felt like the people that God gave us to love are Warsaw. The target for our love is Warsaw. And so we're going to do different kinds of events and different things to communicate to the people of Warsaw that we love them. But the truth is we believe that a lot of the best ideas for the ways that God wants to use us to express his love to Warsaw 
are sitting in front of me. Like we believe that the best ideas that God has for how to love Warsaw are in your hearts. We, we don't know the best ideas yet. We believe that as we share this vision, that God is going to begin to move on your hearts and some of the best ideas that for how to love Warsaw haven't even come out yet. So we want to encourage you like, to join with us and pray for Warsaw. And as you do that, and as we start to hear more about this vision, if God gives you an idea, like, please, come and share it. We're going to be looking for ideas all over the place. Some of the ideas might be like an event or something like that. Some of you, it might be an idea that God gives you to reach your neighbor. Um, But we believe that we're going to be in a season where God's going to give us ideas and strategies for how to share his love with with the people of this town. Um, I don't know if you've ever, any of you have ever experienced anything like this. Um, I'll give you an example of the time that I experienced this. Um, one time, I needed tires for my truck, and I didn't have a lot of money at that time, so I was looking on Craigslist, and I found some, some tires and wheels. So I went to this factory where this guy was and said, hey, this is where I am. You can come meet me and get these tires and wheels. Okay. So I go there, and I get out, and it's like I walked into this factory, and I don't even I don't even have good words to explain what I felt, but I felt like it was dark, and it was heavy when I walked into this place. It was like, I, I honestly felt like I walked into a place that had been, like, given over to the enemy or something like that. It was, I don't know if, like, witchcraft went on there or what kind of crazy nonsense was going on there. But I got out of my truck, I walked into this place, and immediately it was like, I was like, whoa, this is not good. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. Maybe in your spirit, you didn't even have words for it, but it was like, something is not right here. Um, immediately, I just started praying out loud, and I just started saying Jesus' name, and I was like, I thought maybe this guy was going to kill me or something. I have a friend who almost got killed by a guy from Craigslist, but I thought maybe I was next. I was going to have to fight for my life. It didn't happen. He just sold me tires. But, um, but it felt dark, and it felt heavy, and I was just like, something spiritually was not right and not good there. Have, have any of you ever felt anything like that? Okay. I am believing for the 100% opposite of that in Warsaw. Um, I am believing that that God's going to do something so powerful in Warsaw that when people come into Warsaw, they're going to walk in and be like, whoa, like, I don't know what it is. I feel lighter. I feel like my burdens are gone. I feel loved. I feel cared for. And we don't even know all the ways that God is going to do it yet, but we believe that God is going to do something like that in Warsaw that is literally going to change this place for him, for his glory. Um, we, have, uh, we have these falls that are like kind of out back behind the Warsaw Park. Maybe some of you have been there before. And last year, we had a drought. And I hiked up there with my kids, and it was, like, it was just like a trickle. I mean, it was like barely just like dripping over the falls. And I would say that that's kind of um, that's kind of where we're at right now. And I don't mean that as a critique or a, a bad thing about it. Just where we're at in terms of the amount of love that's flowing into Warsaw right now. It's just like a trickle. There's been little events that we've tried to do that have been maybe successful to some degree. Maybe uh, different ones of you have like reached out to your your neighbors and like tried to like share God's love with someone. But we're believing that in this season, it's going to be like Niagara Falls, like that amount of water of God's love being just poured into Warsaw. Um, Maybe some of you have experienced this, I don't know. But as I've talked to people about the Lord around this area, a lot of people have said things to me like something like this. Like, I can't go into, I can't walk into church. Like, if I walk in those doors, I'm going to catch on fire. You guys ever heard somebody say something like that? Or maybe they say things like, ah, church just isn't for me. Like, I've done too much bad stuff in my life. Like, I'm not the kind of person who you'd want in church. Like, 
that those kinds of statements um, are very, very common around here. Like if you share share with people about the Lord, that's something that's very, very common. And we're going to see to it in this vision. We feel like God has given us the responsibility to change His reputation in this area. We we don't want anyone to, in this area, anyone who calls Warsaw home, anyone who travels through Warsaw. We don't want anyone to come through this area and not know that God loves them and we love them. So we're going to be looking for different ideas. There's some events and things that we already have planned, but there's going to be a bunch more things that we're going to do that we haven't even planned yet. So I just want to ask you to close your eyes this morning. Um, As we've been sharing about um, where we're going and what we're going to do, and I know right this morning it's like we literally just like scratched the tip of this thing. Um, you don't even know what you don't even know what you're totally signing up for yet, and I understand that. Um, but if in your heart there's something in you that says like, God, if you're doing something, I want to be a part of it. Um, if there's a new vision, new things that you're wanting to do through us, in us, I want to be a part of it. If that's your heart, I just want to ask you to stand up this morning. Maybe um, maybe while I was sharing, you felt challenged in yourself, like you felt like. Um, the idea of loving people or loving Warsaw or reaching out in that way. Maybe you feel like, man, that's not in my personality. That's hard for me. That feels like a stretch. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm kind of introverted. I don't really feel comfortable doing that. Even if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you this morning just to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what it looks like, but if you'll go with me, I want to make myself available. Would you just raise your hands this morning and just say, God, I'm available to you. Lord, we come to you right now, and we thank you that you're a God that speaks to us, and you give us ideas, and Lord, we believe that you have a plan for this area. We believe you have a plan for us. We believe you have a plan for this church and for this region, and Lord, we want to be a part of it. How awesome that you have a plan for this area, and you looked at us and asked us if we would go with you. Lord, we're not perfect. We have problems. Um, But you still looked at us and you said, you know what, would you guys go with me? Would you guys partner with me in this? And Lord, this morning, we come to you and what we bring to you is a willing heart. Lord, some of us are bringing a willing heart that's terrified at the idea of sharing our faith with someone. Some of us are terrified at the idea of leaving our houses and going and talking to people at home. But Lord, we bring you our willing heart this morning. Lord, we bring, you, uh, we bring you our abilities. Some of us have artistic abilities. And we say, well, Lord, like I can paint and I can draw, and I don't know how you could even see fit to use it, but, Lord, I bring those abilities to you. Some of you bring, um, some of you bring strength and ability to build things. And Lord, you say, you say, Lord, here I am. Like I can build some stuff. I have some skills. I don't know how you would use it to advance your kingdom. But, Lord, if you'd use me, I'm available. Some of you are outgoing and you like to talk to people. And you said the idea of sharing your faith with people is like fun and exciting. And you say, Lord, I bring this to you. I'm available. Some of you have some money. And you say, you know what? I have some money that I'd like to invest in this vision to see it accomplished. And Lord, we bring to you all of those things this morning. All of who we are. Lord, we bring it to you. And we say we're willing and we're available. Lord, would you sign us up and would you use us to advance your kingdom? Would you use us, God? Lord, this morning we say yes to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So come back over the next three weeks. We're going to share more specifically um, in detail kind of what that means and what it's going to look like. And we're excited. Amen. All right. Thanks. Be blessed. Have an awesome week.